0: I realize that as you come to us this morning, you might be coming with several motivations in mind. One of those would be, who are you spending lunch with today? Hey, that's a good thing. Because usually at Easter, we say, we're going to have a special meal. And at a special meal, you invite special people. So to me, that includes two really important things. First of all, good food. Secondly, good people. By good people, I mean friends and family that you really enjoy spending time with. And if you goofed on that last one, don't say anything. Just enjoy them. But the third thing why you come on Easter, I hope, is for some sense of transcendence. Something that takes you beyond the physical parts of life and takes you upward, takes you Godward, that gives you transcendent thoughts. So, good food good friends, good God. And that's my job and the job of everybody involved with your experience here this morning. We want you to understand that as a human being, you have a longing deep within your soul, a longing to understand the meaning of this life that science cannot explain. A longing to uh, to have an understanding. Is this life all that there is? Or could there also be an afterlife? We know that there are things that science cannot measure and confirm for us. And we have that inner yearning. To know is there more to this life than this life? And for every age group. We find that the certainty of death. And the question of life beyond death. Cause us to crave for more. Let me give you. Several examples about this idea of death, and and what is beyond death. I, I want to show you a picture of uh, Bob Beckel. Okay, if you watch uh, a news, if you're a news junkie like I am, uh, you would recognize this face. He's just written his autobiography. It came out in November, and the name of his autobiography is "I Should Be Dead." Now he's older than that. He's my age. Okay, that he's touched up because he's on television there. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, but he's a crusty old guy. And more than crusty, he should be dead. He describes in his autobiography his alcoholism, his drug addiction, the dirty tricks that he performed in the Carter administration State Department, and his uh, his ongoing immoral lifestyle. He talks about his many divorces, and it just goes on and on. But sometime, towards the beginning of this millennium, he had a conversion to Christ Jesus. And he started following Christ Jesus. And so in his book, he describes what's happening to him, what's happening to many people my age. Now, I had a head start. I saw this coming when I was 17. I didn't have to wait till I was 60. But I had a head start. But here's what he says. Baby boomers like me are starting to see the big black wall at the end. And they are wondering what happens after that. But friends, you do not have to be old to be asking questions like that. You can be someone who's middle-aged. Eric Dickerson was a star NFL running back. And he talks about his conversations with sweetness of the Chicago Bears' Walter Payton. And Walter Payton played his whole career for the Bears. And, and And more than that, after he retired, he found himself facing death and going to experience death in his late 40s. And here is what the NFL shares about that. Let's show that video, please. I think it was my my first year in the league. Walter Payton was on the sidelines and I walked over to him and I put my hand out to shake his hand. I said, I'm I'm Eric Dickerson. He said, I know who you are. I love Walter. I talked to him like like a couple of months before he passed away. He said, Eric, guy asked me, am I afraid? He said, of course I'm afraid, because I've never died before. I can say he sadly missed. Of course I'm afraid. I've never died before. Of course I'm afraid. And so, whether you're young or whether you're old, of course we're afraid. We haven't experienced that. We haven't been there and come back. And so he he uses that as his example, and, and my goodness, he was forty-eight when he died of an autoimmune disease, and, and it just it just shook him. But again, you don't have to be diseased. Uh I want to show you a picture of what we saw back in November. These are Egyptian workers. And Egyptian doesn't get to export oil; they don't have much oil, so they export laborers, and thousands of young Egyptian men support their families by working in neighboring countries, and and they're doing the work in the oil-rich countries that their own citizens do not want to do. In Libya last year, there were scores of captured uh, uh, Egyptian Christians captured by the ISIS soldiers. And because they were poor Christians, they were given a choice. Now, you know, they, they couldn't buy their way out of it. They had to either convert to Islam or die. And the intention of the video that was shown uh, was uh, to put fear in the minds of Westerners that radical Islam is out to get Christianity and to do away with it. But instead, I was moved by the last words that were shouted in that video, One after another said in Egyptian, receive me, Lord Jesus. If they had their choice, they wouldn't be in that situation. But not having their choice, that is where they turn at the moment of their death. Let me show you one other because three and a half years ago, we were horrified by the, uh, the, the Newtown, Connecticut situation at Sandy Hook Elementary where ten, uh, 20 children and six teachers are murdered by a, a mentally ill young man with his mother's guns. And though we are saddened by the death of children who have their whole lives ahead of them, we also know that throughout the world, this happens way too often. And what do we say to our children? When they ask us about death of other children, when they ask us about heaven and the life beyond this life, what are our answers to them? What are the comforting words that we give them so they do not live their lives in fear of death, but in a trust of God who loves them and cares for them? And I know, parents, this is hitting you right where you're scratching, right where the itch is. We are currently in an intermittent series, which we call Facing Our Fears. We've looked at things like financial collapse, rejection, uh, failure in life. People ask, how did you choose these? Well, I have good books. But more than that, I I know them all. I've experienced them all. It's nothing new to me to say, I live with this fear or that fear. Well, you're a pastor. You shouldn't be afraid. Hey, I'm a man, and I am afraid at times. And as we go through this series, uh, not only are the issues easy, to choose, but we have to understand that God speaks to every one of our fears. And he speaks to it in a way in which there is a relationship available to him, that it brings something new to the table that those without God do not possess. And today we're looking at fear of dying, the fear of death. And in the words of Walter Payton, of course I'm afraid. I've never died before. We're living in a continually more secular world, with a more secular worldview. And, and the conclusion of the secular world is, this life is all we have. And when it ends, our personhood is extinguished. Yes, those around us may have some memories of what we were like, and we may have an ongoing influence in the lives of some of those who are around us. But when it gets down to the bottom line, we are done. And we are done forever in the secular worldview. There's no do-overs. No second chances at life. You face that worldview every day you live. But in the Christian worldview, we have a faith and a worldview that declares there is more to this life. There is more to this life than this life. And the biggest choices that we're going to be making in life is, what do we do with the claim that there is a God who has made us and who loves us? The question is not, does God exist? But instead we ask questions like this, how do I relate to the God that does exist? What is my relationship like to be with him? And what does he want from me in this life? We ask questions like, is there an afterlife? And how do I get it? Friends, the Bible is filled with these answers. Uh, you ask these, these uh, visceral questions and, and you can go to God's word and it makes the promises and gives the examples that they are true. And I would like to take just one passage with you this morning. And, and out of that one passage, I, want, I just want to use one verse. One tiny verse that maybe you can go away. I bet you already know it. I'm going to take it from a a shepherd boy by the name of David who later, about 20 years later, became King David. And his perspective was this. As the youngest of about seven brothers, his job, being the youngest, was to take care of the sheep because the older brothers had moved on from that. It was the lowliest and worst job available to anybody in the family. He's there watching about 50 sheep, taking care of them. It's a very dull and boring existence. His other brothers are already in the army. They're already involved in, in great things. He is not. and But yet he changes the perspective. He goes, this is what it's like to be a shepherd over sheep. And this is what it's like for God to shepherd me as if I'm one of his sheep. It's the 23rd Psalm. Now, I'm going to read the first three verses, then up is going to pop verse 4, and I want us to read verse 4 all together, and then I will read verses 5 and 6 at the end. And understand that there, you know, uh, uh, if you've never been a sheep, and I guess that's most of us, um, uh, y- y- they're afraid of everything. That's why they flock together. Uh, That's why they're always running. And so the shepherd's idea, the the main method of the shepherd is do whatever it takes to keep them calm. So I begin at Psalm 23, verses 1 to 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down, In green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now together, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now I'll read verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now back to verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what he is saying is from a shepherd's perspective and what he knows of God as a young man. Is that death is not a destination. It is not the final end. It is not a dead end. It is not a box canyon. Instead, the key word there is through. That means you start on one end of the valley and you walk to the end and you go beyond that end of the valley. The key word is even though, uh, uh, excuse me, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He's not staying there. And he understands this is the perspective God gives him. That death is not the end of one's existence. David is carrying as a young boy the hope of eternal life, of life beyond this life. And years later, one of David's uh, or David is the ancestor of Jesus of Nazareth, who rose from death after being in tomb for three days. Now, science would be skeptical, the secular worldview of life after three days of death. We know what happens to nerve tissues. We know they do not regenerate very well. And so they say either what has happened there is supernatural or it's not real. By not real, it is faked or something has happened that that, that, that is a human explanation for what seems to be a supernatural occurrence. Now, you can lean either way on this. One way or the other. But you can be certain that if Jesus' enemies at that time could have produced his body, friends, they would have done it. They would have said, here he is. And the movie Risen, which I've seen and many of you have seen, gives another human explanation of how to explain it. They fake it, okay? The Romans fake it. Very well done. Um, very conniving. I love it. That's what the Romans were like. Sorry, you Italians. Um, um, and, and then also, if scientists today could produce Jesus' body, his corpse, they would. And then you would revert to this: my life is a dead end. My life is a box canyon. I don't. I go into the, you know, into the dead end, into the cul-de-sac. They close the gate, and I'm stuck there. That's the end of me. But this tells us that life is not a destination. I mean, death is not a destination, but instead it is a journey. And the psalm and Jesus' resurrection claim that death is just that, a journey. We finish this life and we enter another existence beyond. Our bodies decay. But the personhood continues in a new form. You ever bought a box of cereal and it says new and improved? The contents are the same, but improved. The box looks very different because they think you didn't like the old box, you're not buying that cereal. You are new and improved, but the person is the same. Now, the second important word, therefore, is that we understand that uh, death is a mere shadow of reality. It is not reality. It's strange, but what we see in shadows may not be what really is. And David assures us that though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will fear no evil. Have you ever imagined things in the dark that were not really there when you were in the light? I have. New Year's Eve, 1958. Yes, I was alive. Um, <laughs> 1958. I'm 10 years old, and I have this opportunity, because I live in Pasadena, to spend my first night on Colorado Boulevard camping out saving spots for my family and other friends so they can come and watch the parade, having not had to sleep out. I was so excited that it, finally, at the age of 10, I get to do this, but the assignment was my older brother, who had just gotten his license, He had to stick with me. Oh, he was really excited to do that on that night, I tell you. So together, uh, my older brother and I go to a friend's house, his friends, and he's going to pick them up and we'll go together down to Colorado Boulevard. He's in a pretty bad attitude. Hey, I understand it. My younger brother has to tag along for a night that I had planned for a lot more fun and I have to keep watching. I get it. But he gets out of the car and says, stay here, I'll be right back. And there we are parked on the street and it's windy and it's extremely dark. And my friend or his friend was not ready. So I think my brother was in there till the parade was over. Not quite that long, but it just went on forever. It seemed like eternity. And because I saw the, 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 the breeze blowing through the, the giant limbs of the uh, fir trees there in Altadena, California, somehow I could, I was sure that there were monsters on every limb. There in the dark, and there were bushes all along the avenue where we had parked, and as the bushes also sort of blew in, in, in the wind, I would look between, you know, the, the leaves, and that's where every serial killer that has ever lived <laughs> was hiding, and it seemed like I was there forever. And then at a certain moment, because my brother still hadn't come back, I was sure they were all going to come out, come to my car, take me out of the car, and eat me. <laughs> and I was terrified, and I was alone. And I, I, I was terrified of things that I, my imagination was seeing in the shadows. And this is what David is explaining. What is death? Well, we approach it as if it's a shadow. We are terrified. So that afternoon, after the parade, we, we go back to the same house. We drop my brother's uh, friend off, and the sun is shining. And I look in those trees, and there's nobody there. And I look in the bushes, and they're empty too. There's no footprints of serial killers. It was all in my imagination because I was afraid of the shadows that I see in the dark. They were shadows, not reality. And he calls death A shadow. One of the titles that Jesus uses for himself is, he says, I am the light of the world. He means he describes life and he lives life in a way that conquers death as it really was meant to be and as it will be. A secular world is a shadow. Do you understand why? Because it can only go so far and dare not believe that there's anything else beyond. It's a shadow of all that God intends for us to know. A secular world denies the existence beyond the physical. And friends, I love science. I'm reading it all the time. But it is a it is a mere shadow trapped in a small box that dare not go look, looking out and see is there anything else beyond. Uh, Jesus also says to a grieving sister who has lost her younger brother, and, and he looks at her and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet will he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And he looks her in the eye and says, do you believe this? Her brother's still dead. Do you believe this? You see, that's God's light. God's light that he wants us to walk in together. It's a shadow. It's not reality. God has something beyond this life that he wants you to trust in and to explore for yourself in this life through a relationship with his son, Jesus. Final thing from that verse is that death is not meant to be a group event. I will fear no evil, it says, for you are with me. We and every individual will experience death, you might say, alone. Oh, there might be friends and family around that are holding your hands, but they don't die. Each individual must And here, there's a big shift in the entire psalm. Because up to this point, he's called the Lord. He's called he. But at this point, he's called you. Nowhere else up to this point. David looks at God as his good shepherd. And he now speaks to him personally. I will fear no evil for you are with me. It is personal. It is meant to speak to his heart. David declares he is not alone in facing death. He does not necessarily know what it's like because it's never happened before. But he understands he's not alone. Because he's not alone, he is not afraid. In death, for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, the claim is, the promise is, the experience is meant to be. God is with you and you will not be alone. On December 7th, 1941, Peter Marshall, one of the great preachers of, in, in American history, even though he was Scottish by birth, uh, was speaking at the Naval Academy at Annapolis, Maryland. And while he was speaking, uh, the Japanese fleet was fueling and arming the planes that would attack later at, at Pearl Harbor. And those midshipmen, within days, would be risking and giving their lives for their country. Peter Marshall tells a story of a young boy who, as he was getting older, his health was failing and the doctors did not have much hope for him. And this young boy knew it. And so he goes to his mother and he says, Mom, what is death like? Does it hurt? Parents, grandparents, aunts. Uncles, this is your takeaway. Peter Marshall, 75 plus years ago, said these words. The the mother, he says, reminds her son of something that happened to him often. Quote, do you remember when you were smaller and you played very hard? And you'd fell asleep right here on mommy's bed. Yet the next morning, you awoke to find yourself somehow in your own bed. Your daddy had come along with his big, strong arms and lifted you, undressed you, put you into your pajamas as you slept. And that is what death is like. It's like waking up in your own room. The room that God has prepared for you. You are not alone in death. David, as a young man, sees sees it and he goes, I understand. God is with me. And God has also not just claimed to be with you, but he shows you. Jesus' death is followed by his resurrection. And we are told that in his resurrection body we will be like him. We want that to be true. We place not just our faith, but somewhere deep inside we, we say, there must be more to this life than just what I am experiencing. There must be something going on or something coming where the pain won't be as hard. Uh, the misery won't be uh, you know as intense. It's going to get better. Death, he says, is not eternal, but it is a journey, a shadow, and a God who walks through the valley with you. December 14, 2012, 26 students and faculty die of gunshot wounds at Sandy Hook Elementary School. The nation mourns. We say you know the politically we look at all sorts of solutions of how we can stop this from happening again but did you realize the community said to the press we don't want you stay away please we want to handle this by ourselves and to their credit that's exactly what they did news came out later that the press never received 26 deaths 26 religious services in that community now do the math we know what the world is like. We know what the East Coast is like. We know what New England is like. How many of you think were in church the Sunday before? How many of you think we're actually people that went to church and had a faith in Christ or the God of Israel? How many of you think actually shared that before their deaths? But when it comes time, when we are asking the deep questions of life, everybody comes. The community comes out, not just to show respect, but to hear what is going to happen. They need comfort that only a loving God and an all powerful God can offer. Whether those who attended believed or not, I, I, I can tell you at that moment they wanted to. They wanted to know that there was something beyond this evil event that happened. And to help your mind and your heart work together. This is maybe a question that several of you are asking this morning. I live in a secular world. I don't see a whole lot of supernatural things happen. But take me back to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They cannot be disproved. As a historical figure, as one who was crucified, that's not an issue. But take me back now to the resurrection. What are the options? What else could it possibly be? And not only the options, the implications. What does it mean for me that he died and we say it was a substitutional death, not a Roman execution. He died for the forgiveness of my sins. His death means he took on my sins. More than that, his life shows me the first example. It's called the first fruits of what it means to experience life after death. And so maybe you're at that, at that line where you're sort of wondering, well, what do I do? Do I stick in just the secular world? Do I realize that the world is much bigger than we can measure, much bigger than, than than science? And I, friends, we have engineers and scientists, and they're all over this place this morning. Okay, and you're dealing with that, and I understand it. But what answer can you have if you stick to the secular worldview? Then when I'm dead, I'm gone. There's no do-over. There's no life. I'm fertilizer for a tree. Maybe it is time to say, at least I'm going to explore. Or maybe it is time to say, yeah, I've considered everything else, and Jesus makes sense, and I'm going to cross that line of faith this morning. That would be a wonderful, wonderful thing for you to do. And I'd encourage it and I'd love to know about it. Because once you get started, we want to help you go further. And you can let us know if this is the moment for you. But God gives his son to us. God raises his son so that we can know we have life after death. And Jesus can come to you and talk about death. And he can say to you, I've been there. I've done that. I've beat it. And I'm loving it now. And maybe that's exactly what needs to happen to you. To take Jesus' perspective of his resurrection life and make it yours. Make it yours. I'm going to pray now. And maybe some of you want to pray this prayer. Some of you maybe want to say, that's me, I'm in it. Some are crossing that line. Some are so glad they've crossed that line. All the all the intellectual difficulties you've had of getting through it. You've gone through it. And you are now saying, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's pray. Lord, hear the guided prayers of these people. First of all, some might want to say, Jesus, I trust that you are God's son. Jesus, I believe that you were sent to earth so that I could know your father in heaven from a human perspective. Jesus, I believe your death on the cross had the effect of forgiving all of my sin. And Jesus, I believe that you were raised, rose to resurrection, to a resurrection life, so that I can know that you've made for me more than just this life. And I trust you this morning. And for those of us already walking in that resurrection life. Your words are just, thank you, Lord. I'm not maybe experiencing all I want. But it sure is better than the other side of that line. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And God's people said.